Today's podcast episode is brought to you by Montreat Conference Center, located in picturesque Montreat, North Carolina, in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Montreat Conference Center is a place set apart for those seeking to nurture and to grow in their faith. We offer a variety of ways for you to connect, including six conferences specifically designed for youth. These week-long programs draws over 5,000 young people from all over the United States to Montreat each summer and to offer a time of study, worship, and recreation. Activities include morning energizers, music, keynotes, small group meetings, afternoon recreation, and evening worship. Are you a CBF group who's looking for a life-changing experience for your youth this summer? Contact us today at 828-419-9814 to find out about an exclusive offer for Cooperative Baptist Fellowship youth groups. To learn more about all that Montreat has to offer, visit Montreat.org or contact us at 828-669-2911. All are welcome. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Church Starts Conversation. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship and interviews of people doing groundbreaking work of partnering together and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from church starters, pastors, and practitioners. This is Andy Hale. In today's podcast, we'll feature the story of Russ Jones, commissioned church starter of 2016. He pastors Mosaic Fellowship in Belton, Texas. While we have you, I want to remind you of our innovation group process. Innovation groups are gatherings of people forming together to discover something new. Maybe a new church start, maybe a missional community. Is there a dream emerging through you for the kingdom of God? Would you like to form together with others who are also seeking a new way of being the church? Let CBF Church Start Initiative be a catalyst of support for you and your group. Innovation group process center around eight different conversations. We also give with this free resource four professional coaching sessions for your group leader to be guided through the process as you are discovering this new thing that God is doing. Find out more information about the innovation group process at cbfchurchstarts.net. You know, if you if you look around the Church Start Initiative, um, you can say uh, we don't all look alike. Um, but if I was to describe Russ Jones, I would say look for the guy that wants to be the person you want on your side if a bar fight is breaking out. This guy, <laughs> shaved head, goatee, and rides a Harley. Um, so share a little bit of his story today. Welcome, Russ. Well, welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, well, Russ serves uh, in Belton, Texas. So for those that aren't from the um, state or country of Texas, as many Texans like to think of, uh, Belton is located right outside of Temple, kind of uh, right in between Austin and Waco. Um, so Yeah, almost exactly halfway, Andy. Yeah, I know my Texas geography so well, or it could have been I looked at a map <laughs> right before we, we spoke. <laughs> um I guess maybe that's a good place to start. Uh, why Belton, Texas? Uh, I've often asked myself that question. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was never our intention to to plant a church in Belton to start there. We were living in, we had moved from College Station to the North Austin area, and we thought we felt we would be planting there. And at, we'd started the process with CBF and and the discernment process, the cohort. And Rick McClatchy, the state CBF coordinator, 
emailed me one day and said, have you ever thought about Felton? Because we have a church there that's closing its doors. So we thought, okay, we'll go check it out. There, there, there's a possibility of property being involved. So it's certainly worth checking out. We didn't know much about Belton at the time. We knew that the University of Mary Harden Baylor was here um, because some young men from our church had gone to school here. And I reached out to them, asking them, you know, telling them kind of my vision and telling me about the city of Belton because I've always felt drawn to minister to the marginalized. There's a lot of people that kind of fall through the cracks, both in society and in our church today. Mm. And the feedback I got was, yeah, there's a need for that in Belton. The churches do a very good job here of ministering to their physical needs, but there's not a lot of churches down in that kind of poor part of town. So we came up and checked it out, and we met with the pastor of the church that was closing down. He was having some physical problems, and he's going to have to retire. And I think we met for four hours the first night. He and his wife had us up for dinner. And by then, Victoria had already fallen in love with the town. And I was convinced that this was where we needed to be, even though it's not where I wanted to go. And I remember on the way home that night, Victoria was, she looked over at me in the car and said, we need to make sure we're doing what God wants and not what we want. Hmm. I told her, I said, I'm pretty sure we're doing what God wants because I don't want to plant a church in Belton, but I feel like we're, that's where we've been called to do. Um, so there's this little small town where I thought we were going to be in the metropolitan Austin area, and we're this little town of less than 20,000 people, but one-fourth of them live below the poverty line. Um, it's 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 very interesting little city that we've ended up in completely by accident, moved up here not knowing a soul to start off with. So it's it's been an exciting journey that to a place we never even considered when we when I, we first got into ministry, mm. well, and uh, you know, ministry is is not your background uh, too. I mean, you've uh, with the call to start a church have stepped back into a vocation that you were a part of for years. Um, but you know, you serve as a as a teacher, middle school teacher. Um, you know, so so why ministry? Why ministry out of a call from teaching? Well, I grew up in the church, and then I like so many others, by the time I was 20, I was gone. Um, and I didn't come back for 25 years. And in the meantime, I had gone into to education. I taught high school for a few years back in Ohio um, and left that to go into corporate training and ended up down in Texas. Um, and I'd been teaching adults for a long time. And when we moved to Texas, the education minister at the church we were at knew about my teaching background. And he asked me if I would fill in for a Sunday school class while he looked for a permanent teacher. Um, and he told me it was funny. He said, it's a, a single adults class, but most of them aren't single anymore. Which I don't know the connotation, what that puts into your head, Andy, but to me, I'm expecting, you know, 30-somethings, um, you know, around that age group. And I walked in the door that first Sunday morning, and I was the youngest person in the room. <laughs> That's... Uh, the one couple were in their 60s. He was the custodian for the church. We had a broken down old bike or a cowboy who looked in his 70s, but was really in his 50s. Um, an older couple that he turned 90 while I was teaching that first summer. Uh, so, yeah, it was kind of an interesting, all my plans of, you know, using social media to, to gather and communicate all went out the window. And I had to kind of go back to my roots 
um, with a basic teaching philosophy. Uh, and it, it didn't take long teaching that class before I went back to the education minister, uh, David Strong, who's been my mentor ever since. And I told him, says, I want to keep doing this. It scares me to death to be teaching the Bible. But it really felt like that's where I, where I belonged. And I have this, I have a problem. I have this obsession to know more. I'm constantly looking things up and, and trying to learn more and more, everything I can about a subject. And I was finding myself reading things, the seminary books and things on my own. And that's kind of what prompted the idea of even going to seminary part-time and to make me start thinking about going into ministry because I was already walking down that road, but resisting every step of the way. Kept saying, no, I, can, I am not, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm just a, I, I'm a Sunday school teacher and that's good, but that's it. Um, but it was one of those ideas that once, once God gets a hold of you and he doesn't let go. And it was just a logical step that I put it off for about two years, I think, before I finally admitted that I was being called. Well, there's another aspect of your call that uh, you certainly have to be called to, and that's the fact that you've chosen for your biprofessional work to uh, teach seventh graders. (laughs) Seventh grade, 12 and 13-year-olds. So, you know, why teaching? Why middle school teaching? Why by professional ministry for you? Well, teaching has, even before, when I first got into teaching, I was not in church. I, I was de-churched at the time. But it's kind of one of those things, a good teacher is called to be a teacher. I, I firmly believe that. It, it is something you don't just do it because you, you feel like it or you think it might be a good job. You you really kind of have to be called to it. You have to have a heart for for kids and for learning. And those things play very well into to pastoring and into preaching and teaching in general. Um, I didn't intend to go back to middle school when I decided to leave adult ed and go back to the classroom because I always missed that part. As my careers in corporate training had progressed, I'd gotten more and more into the development side, and I was creating e-learning pieces. And I was spending less and less time out of the classroom to the point where the last couple of years I was in there, I, I, I hardly ever taught anything. I was, at, I was flying a desk, and I really missed that personal interaction. There's, there's nothing quite like the feeling of working with someone who's struggling and then seeing that light go on in their eyes when they get it. And I missed that part of it. And I taught high schoolers, ninth and 10th graders. So I was very nervous about last year uh, teaching seventh graders. Uh, Victoria tells me that's the perfect fit because my sense of humor never progressed beyond Uh, (laughs) 12-year-old. I actually do a bad joke of the day as part of our warm-up on the board. And the days I don't do it, the kids, they get upset with me and ask, where's the joke? Why didn't you do a joke today, Mr. Jones? And they're stupid jokes about, you know, where the cows go for entertainment. They go to the movies. It's it's silly jokes like that. But it's a way to connect to these kids and to to know you have an impact on on these young people's lives. And I don't make any secret of the fact that I have two jobs and the other one is as a, as a minister. And I'll have kids come talk to me 
um, and and ask questions, spiritual questions, where they're 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 wanting direction. So it's it's kind of an extension of ministry for me. You know, I have to be careful what I say in public school system, but it, like I said, I, they all know where I'm coming from. So, so every once in a while, they'll ask my opinion on an ethical question, and I always preface it with, "Well, you know what my other job is." So I'm going to answer it in that regard. Is that what you want? And that's usually why they came to me in the first place hmm. is because they want that perspective. I was going to say, I've, I've, I've got a joke that you can use for tomorrow. This is my, uh, my five-year-old's favorite joke to tell. Well, she actually has two of them. You ready for this? You can use it on the board tomorrow and give Madison credit. Okay. What do you, right. what do you call a bear with no teeth? A gummy bear. A gummy I bear. used that one yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that's that awesome. <laughs> All right, the other one, and you're uh, well, two more. You're free to use these, and podcast listeners are just going to be dying for these upcoming episodes. <laughs> It'll be a new feature we we do. Uh, why can't you give Elsa a balloon? I don't know why not. Because she'll let it go. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be on the board tomorrow. I love that one. Yeah. All right. All right. Last one. Last one. Then we'll actually move on to more serious things. Um, what do you call a three hump camel? I don't know. What do you call a three hump camel? Pregnant. Oh, yep. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. You'll yeah. be here all week. Keep, yeah. keep your waitress. Yeah, my wife is one of those people that sits in the back row of the church and just makes sure I know that I just told a bad joke. So she's proud of it, and I'm proud of her for doing it. So um, Victoria sits in the front row and rolls her eyes at me. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's talk a little bit more about Mosaic Fellowship. Um, you know, y'all have a, a different approach than many church starts in Texas, certainly. Um, so, so why have you approached ministry in the way that you have? Well, some of it is, is by not, I kind of forced into it, didn't really have a choice. Um, the, we started off without a built-in support team. We weren't sent from a church, you know, with a, you know, these, these five families get together and we're going to go plant a church. So we, we kind of started with a parachute drop. And as we, thought about going into it this way, we realized that what we're after is, is very much relational and not attractional at all. And it's all about building community and building um, that fellowship together. Um, so that's, in a way, it's, it's good that we're doing it the way we do because it gives us that chance to develop those, those friendships, those relationships in a more authentic way and it gives us depth. People aren't just coming, walking into church. They're people that we are doing life with. So we ended up, and we're deliberately planning in, a, in the poor part of town. It is probably about half blue collar. And then there's a very large low-income housing project kind of behind us. And we're meeting in the chapel at the food pantry. So many of the people that are, have been coming in to attend church are clients of the food pantry. Um, so that's, that's kind of been very, it's one of the challenges is getting them to trust us, but it also allows us to start that, that process of getting to know each other and developing, developing those relationships together. 
I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of where it went with me. Is um, yeah, those people have have been. I don't want to say victims. They've seen so many churches come in and treat them as a project. You know, it's kind of a mission project. So they're there for a week, two weeks, and then they're gone again. Or they're, they're, they come and they're the focus for a couple months before the, the church kind of disappears again. So they're all kind of leery uh, about what we're doing. So they're kind of, they test the waters with us a lot. And they'll come visit and, and we have church supper every week before we have service. So we've had some people come in and, you know, they come to supper and we're not sure. A couple of them have not stayed for service, um, but they've come and they've checked us out. And talking to the ones who have stuck around, there's, there is a lot of that. Are they still going to be here in three months? Are they still going to be here in six months? Are they committed to being here? Or, you know, are they going to treat us like a project? something to fix. And so that's kind of hard to overcome that resistance. But the best way to do it is just to, to be there day in and day out, showing them that we care about them as people. We're not, we're not doing this as, a, as an urban renewal project mm. and trying to fix them. I mean, that's where the whole name of Mosaic came from, is that we're all broken. None of us are, are perfect by any means, but God puts us together and creates something beautiful. And this this faith community, this fellowship that we can have is built upon our imperfection and our wrestling with Scripture and, and that we don't have it all together, but we don't have it all together together, and we can figure it out together. That's a great so, church name. Someone else ought to think about using that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I freely credit you all the time, um, but I also blame it on my wife Victoria. As we started the, the discernment process with CBF, for those who might not know this, um, you have to develop your plan, um, and we got some sample plans. And we, at this point, we were still trying to, what are we going to call this thing? And I had the plans that were kind of laid out on the coffee table one night while I was doing my work. And Victoria looked over and she said, Mosaic, that's perfect. And then she started rattling off what has be, kind of become our, what I just said, that we're all broken and imperfect people, but we're put together by God into something that's glorious and beautiful. And she knew as soon as she read it that that was the perfect name for us. Mm. Yeah, and we're deliberately not Mosaic Baptist Church. We're Mosaic Fellowship. Um, because fellowship is one of the most important things. I, I cannot talk about God and church for any length of time, really, before I start using the words faith family and community and in fellowship together, because to me, that's such a vital essence of what we do as a church is that that building of community and working together. When you read the book of Acts, it was not isolated Incidents. They were building these churches and these communities where they were, they did everything together. So I, I, there's a, what better model can you have for what your church community should look like than the Book of Acts? How have you been able to, to teach people that? Has has that been a, a stretch of that pulled people? Have people bought into that concept of church in your area? Um. <laughs> we are in a 
an extremely conservative part of the country, uh, but not just politically, but culturally and theologically. Uh, so, so getting people to buy into what we do sometimes is, is a challenge. Uh, CBF does not have a, a big footprint in this area. So there's a little skepticism about what we're about because, you know, we're not your typical um, right-wing denomination coming in. Getting people to, to buy in is sometimes takes a little work. But once they get it, again, once you see that kind of light go on and, and they realize what we're about, then, you know, you they're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the One of the ladies that has come from the community. It was about a month in after she started coming when I noticed that she was caught, she was using us and we. And it, I was so thrilled to hear her say that because that meant she was, she was buying in that she was, it was part, she was part of our community. Even though we're maybe, I mean, we're come from vast different back, kind of backgrounds but yet we can still create this community together. So when I see people understand what it's about, and I don't know how you can understand what it's about and not want to be part of that. Mm. It's getting to that point where they realize what, why we do what we do. Yeah, that's the challenge. And since we don't go about it you know, kind of your typical way, it takes a little talking sometimes to get to that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've been in this church start journey for, um, well, kind of officially, non-officially, a little over three years now. Um, what's been the thing that's given you the most life in the process? The, uh, the support from unexpected places. Um, the, one of our local partners um, is a biker church a non-denominational biker church. And uh, they are so supportive. And and they know we don't agree on a lot of things. They are, uh, but yet they are so supportive of what we're trying to do. The uh, pastor there, the first time we met, they'd only been around a year when, when I met Jimmy. And we were telling our story. And we hadn't even, we were just doing Bible studies. We hadn't started meeting or anything. And he spoke to the, the director of missions locally and said, we need to sponsor them. Even though it's crazy that we've only been around a year, we need to sponsor them because they're doing God's work and we want to be a part of that. And it's those kind of moments where you find out about those out of the blue. Some guy you spoke to for five minutes wants to, wants to sponsor you. And they have been staunch supporters. They support us financially um, with people that we've had big events that, the majority of the people working the event were the bikers. Um, so those kind of things have been very heartwarming. Um, the, the moments we have with our, our people in our congregation, our community, again, the, the one lady, when, when I first noticed that she was saying, we, we had gone out to look at Christmas lights in the car on the way back. I don't know, the conversation turned to church and how we were still small. And I remember she's in the back seat saying, don't worry, Pastor. We'll grow. We're going to grow. And I went, she's saying we. She's, she's in it. 
And it was such a heartwarming moment for me. And it's those kind of things that I draw the most strength from because there's so many challenges in being a church starter. Um, and especially doing the kind of the parachute drop that we're doing. And sometimes it feels like you're doing one step forward and two steps back, but you have to take those, those moments because that's what gets you through the hard times and uh, the meeting pe- person after person and telling your story and getting no response. Um, so you take those, those bright moments and that's, that's what you hold on to when you, you lose half your core group in a, in a 10 day span, like we did this fall. You know, you've, you've faced some, some, certainly some challenges, not just um, in the new church start as many people do, but, you know, personally and, and physically, um, you know, having some of the things you've dealt with. And I, and I think when I think of, of a word that best describes you, um, probably the word I would use is resilience um, or stubbornness, <laughs> <laughs> but resilience sounds so much better, right? <laughs> it, it, it does. And you know, I don't think, I don't think about it because that's just kind of the, the life that we've been living for the last few years, but you're right. We had our first public worship service on May 1st and on May t- of last year and May 26th, I went in for a total knee replacement. So I was kind of laid up for most of last summer. Uh, it's kind of hard to get out there and build your church when you can't get out there. Um, and it's just been, it's been those kind of instances. And to me, it's, it's just part of life. I don't really tend to think about it as as a hardship. Uh, but then I hear other people make a comment. <laughs> oh, okay, I guess so. But that's just not the way I view it. It's just... Nobody ever said this was going to be easy. Nobody ever said being a Christian was going to be easy. Matter of fact, I, I do believe we're promised the opposite, that it's going to be a hard life. Um, and it may not be, the resistance may not come overtly from, from people being uh, challenging to, your, to what we're trying to do. Sometimes it's other challenges that we have to overcome. Um, I had a, one of the teachers at school stopped me one day and talked about my, my knee and having to deal with that and as a church planner and trying to get the church going. He said, you must be doing something right, Pastor, because the devil keeps throwing in obstacles for you to overcome, to slow, trying to slow you down. And, and that, was, that was very, that was meaningful to me and heartwarming to me that sometimes people get it, um, but I don't tend to think, like I said, I don't tend to think about, oh, these are you have to be resilient. It's just, I don't know, maybe it's just being an old guy. Your life has never been easy. There's always things to overcome. Yeah, maybe stubborn is a better word for it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know that's the word my wife would use more than resilient. Yeah. Um, But you kind of have to. I didn't go to college until I was 27. You know, I I haven't taken the traditional path on almost anything. And typically, you, you kind of have to have some stick-to-itiveness to get through those things. You know, to, to work you know, 25, 30 hours a week and go to school full-time and buy a house and have a family. And you, know, you kind of have to have a stubbornness and, and a willingness to kind of see things, see through the hard times. 
to, to know that it gets better in the end. Well, I'm thankful for you and I'm thankful for your resilience or stubbornness. Uh, <laughs> you're doing good work and um, CBF Church Start Initiative is proud of you. CBF, the fellowship is proud of you. Well, and I, you have no idea how thankful and blessed I feel to be part of um, the CBF Church Starts. The, the support that we've gotten, the, the training that we've been able to get, having those resources, uh-huh. And so much of it, though, is just knowing that there, it's a phone call away. If I need help, if I just need someone to talk to, uh, to, to know that we've got the, the support of the entire CBF family uh-huh. and the entire CBF family is praying for us. I got feedback uh, a while back from, through our website. Um, one of the professors at the local universities at a CBF church in Temple, and I guess it came up in the some of the materials from CBF about Mosaic. So she just wanted to make sure that we knew that she had been praying for us and that she saw us in the the, the prayer calendar. And it, it kind of reinforces that we're not in this alone, that we are part of a, a large fellowship, a large faith family that extends far beyond our local walls. Special thanks to Montreat Conference Center for sponsoring today's episode. If you've never been to Montreat, you've got to make it out there. I've personally hiked the mountain trails around the facility, walked along the beautiful pond, had deep dialogue with others among the conference rooms. Visit Montreat.org for more information. You can find more information about CBF and CBF Church Start initiatives at cbf.net backslash churchstarts. We also have our church stars writing stories each and every week to tell you about innovative work they are doing, lessons learned from church stars. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, CBF Church Starts.